sacrifice. I did it for the Lord. Hey everyone, thanks. I want to take a quick moment just to thank you guys for supporting our podcast. Uh, we're doing something a little bit different this week for two reasons. Uh, the main one, uh, I've uh, been on vacation. I just got back from Colorado Springs, so haven't really had time to watch a lot of wrestling or do any kind of podcast, but we still wanted to give you guys some content. Um, so this week, uh, both uh, because I was on vacation and in honor of our six-month anniversary here at Turnbuckle Training, uh, we're bringing you the very first pilot Zach and I ever did. Um, it's a little rough, but for the most part, just like any normal episode of this of this show we've been doing for the past six months, uh, discussing a pretty fun one, uh, Backlash 1999. Uh, so that's here for your enjoyment. Don't want to spend too much time talking about it. Just want to get right on into the episode. So without further ado, Turnbuckle Training, the original pilot. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Turnbuckle Training. Introducing first your longtime fan, short-time podcaster, and former fantasy wrestling hardcore champion, Peyton Big Meaty Man Green. And his tag team partner, making his debut in the wacky world of fighting fools, Zach the Man Boy Barlow. This is a show for longtime wrestling fans and rookies alike. We're going to take you through some of the biggest shows, matches, and rivalries in wrestling history, or at least the ones I can talk about for an hour. And if you know nothing about wrestling, don't worry, because as you'll soon find out, I don't either. So, Peyton, what are we going to be talking about today? Okay, so uh, today's topic, we're going to be talking about uh, Backlash 1999. Uh, That's a... A pretty good, I feel like, just something you can just jump right into because it's it's right in the middle of of the Attitude Era, which is uh, pretty much one of the the most successful, most memorable moments in wrestling history. That's when you got guys like Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, The Undertaker, uh, Mankind, all at the top of the game. So basically, you're just like saturated with really good content. And would you and, say that the the Attitude Era is really your? I know it's my personally the stuff I've seen the most stuff from, but it's it's your sort of area of expertise, your specialty, uh, your favorite era. Um, yeah, I, I, that I, that wasn't I wasn't really watching it too much because I was I was a really little kid. But it, it's it's one of the things that's like even now you still kind of like. Basically, everything is a result of the Attitude Era. In a lot of ways, the Attitude Era saved wrestling. Wrestling was, like, kind of going down the toilet at a certain point, uh, and they weren't really getting a lot more fans. But because you had the WWF um, and WCW competing with each other for ratings and stuff, they were just kind of doing whatever they could to make people watch, which a lot of times was, like, trash TV. And it seems <laughs> you know? like it worked, though, because, I mean, we're, we're, 1999, would you say that's fair to say that's middle of the Attitude Era? Yeah, and I, I would say it, in a lot of ways it was, it was peak Attitude Era. Uh, I mean, that's Because we're probably... looking at, in Backlash in 1999, this is a sold-out venue. I mean, it, it looks crazy. Uh, yeah, let's actually, let's take a look. Um, into into a little bit of uh, the, I guess, the numbers for this show. 
Um, and we we've got an attendance here, according to Wikipedia, of almost eleven thousand people um, in Providence, Rhode Island. Wow! Uh, for for backlash, it, I mean, and they were re- really like consistently selling out shows, uh, both on pay per view and on TV. And this is actually the first ever edition of Backlash, which kind of became a household pay per view. Um, they uh, they called it Backlash uh, because it came right after that year's WrestleMania, and that's kind of really been the trend. Is Backlash is always coming after WrestleMania, so it's kind of like almost. That's where you get all your ba- your WrestleMania rematches. Uh, you get them. You get them on Backlash. So that's what we get a lot of here. Uh, we had just come off of WrestleMania 15, uh, which was a which was a pretty big show for the WWF. That was the first time that The Rock and Stone Cold would uh, wrestle at WrestleMania. Uh, they had three WrestleMania matches over their long story rivalry. This was the first of that. Um, which uh, Stone Cold comes out on top of, and so you know Stone Cold is coming into this as the WWF champion, and then uh, he's going to have a rematch with The Rock here, which is really their uh, the big thing of the of the pay per view, which they're kind of they're kind of pimping out yeah, throughout the th- whole show. I noticed show. that, and and I want to want to talk about that some when we start talking about this first match. Is that really in every you. single match? It's sort of forward facing to the end of the show um uh, and and just so before we get into the specific uh matches this show as a whole what are I, can i tell you my general impressions you know as a as a lay person uh before before they're tainted by your expert opinion well i mean if i said no that would be rude um i think that this show is the definition of a mixed bag um Okay, I thought you know, there was some really cool stuff, and then there was some stuff that I was like, "This is so fucking lame." Well, that's that's kind of the thing with the Attitude Era, and and you know, people look back on it with rose colored glasses. A lot of people are like, "Man, I wish it would be like the Attitude Era." I'm kind of not like that because while there's a lot of good stuff, there's a lot of crap too, and that's the thing with the Attitude Era is that you know, the, a lot of the storylines are really great. The wrestling kind of is not that. Amazing, you know. No one is like you know having these, you know, long running matches with like these crazy holds and reversals and all that kind of stuff. It's the storytelling, you know. The Rock and Austin aren't your, you know, you know, they're not your Bret Hart's or Kurt Angles. You know, they're not these amazing, gifted, talented wrestlers. But they're entertainers. They're they're, they're talented they're entertainers. entertainers. And that's something yeah. that I really want to talk about with The Rock when we when we get to the end of this episode in that final match because just wow. But um, you you want to go ahead and get into this first round? Yeah, let's let's go ahead. Uh, and well, let me correct you. It's a match, I'm sorry, first not a match. round. First match. Wow, you're already showing you're already showing your. Uh, I don't want to say stupidity, but I mean I just did. So yeah, fair enough. That's okay. but hey, you're my teacher. So, you know, if the pupil fails, whose fault is it really? Oh, God. Well, hey, it's our first go-around, so, you know, give me some time and I will mold you into the person you are meant to be. So we start with that... that, uh, Fantastic graphic. Yeah. It was a little bit goofy That looks like the Rush music video for Time Stand Still. That you... Wow. You are really pegging these references that... 
a lot of people probably won't get. <laughs> but no, it really is, and it really is like attitude era. I mean, they're talking about Austin and Rock like they are, like literally, like they're gladiators. Yeah, um, yeah. And it really builds them up, even though it's a little bit hokey. But um, so then we go into the into the actual arena, and we we go to Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler, which first of all. Uh, greatest commentary team in wrestling history. Um, you've got and they give us some uh, gems. They give us some gems in this this uh, show. I think. Yeah, I, I mean, and that's that's really what they do. Because I mean, Jim Ross is like fantastic. I mean, he's made matches by the way he calls things because he he just sells them so well. And then Jerry is so ridiculous and funny, and and they really do a perfect job of that because. You know, in wrestling, you have good guys and bad guys or faces and heels. And JR and King do that, too. You know, JR's the face, King's the heel. And I really want to, and there's a certain match in this show that I think really shows this very well. But I really do want to talk about, uh, later on in the show, just the role of the announcer as a storyteller. Because yeah. they're sort of improving and creating these minute details of the story that bring it to life in a way that I think that if you were just sitting there watching these two guys fight, you wouldn't get the full impact of. Yeah, yeah. That's why I almost feel bad for, like, the live I was thinking audience, of that myself. Like, they these don't people get are so hype, but they really aren't hearing any of the, the commentary. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's move into this first match, though. Uh, so our, our opening contest here is a six-man tag. We've got the Brood... Uh, of of Gangrel, Edge, and Christian, so just just three three vampires. Yeah. Okay. So I am I, from what you've shown me in the past, minorly familiar with Christian and Edge. When did they become vampires? They were vampires, pretty much very soon after they started. So they're both in their very first year. Uh, this is this is relatively early 1999. So they may have started in in late 98. Um, I, I believe that they did, or at least Edge did. Um, but they became vampires pretty early on in their career. So basically, uh, there are basically two big, there are basically two big storylines running throughout this. It's the Rock and Austin, and then it's the Undertaker's Ministry of Darkness. So, the Undertaker is a zombie, and then at this point, you know, he started out being this like creepy, like old Western, literal dead man. Yeah, and as his nickname suggests, and but in the late nineties he became a cult leader, which was really cool, but really weird. And he just started like taking regular wrestlers and making like dark versions of them. Yeah, like, so it looks he just... like everyone here is very seen, and yeah, in a very sort of goofy way to where uh, I can't remember his name. I think Bradshaw has these, like, runes drawn on him in just what looks like a marker because they start rubbing off later in the show. Yeah, well, because, okay, so basically, like, a lot of people, so so the Brood, Gangrel, Edge, and Christian were part of the Ministry of Darkness, which is Undertaker's cult, uh, but they left at some point. And, but, like, all these wrestlers were, like, with the exception of Gangrel, he was always a vampire. Uh, but all the rest of them had, like, other gimmicks, but then The Undertaker just showed up and, like, made them, like, the Shadow the Hedgehog version of their gimmicks. 
And, yeah, so, like, you have Edge and Christian, who are vampires now. You have Midian, who used to be uh, Phineas I. Godwin, which, whose initials spell pig, because his gimmick was he was a pig farmer. So now he's a dark pig farmer. <laughs> yes. Although, I will say, Midian has had three gimmicks. This is the best one. No. Because before he was a pig farmer... And then he will later become Naked Midian, where he wears just a fanny pack. Oh, God. And uh, so I have a question about Midian, and that is, why is it that the Brood is introduced as the Brood, and then the Acolytes are introduced as Acolytes, sort of featuring Midian? He gets well, his because, own little credit there. Well, here's the thing. A, a, a thing that I, I pointed out about this. This match is basically two really good tag teams. You have Edge and Christian, who one's a Hall of Famer, one soon will be. Uh, and then you have the Acolytes, who would later become known as the Acolyte Protection Agency, APA. So you have Bradshaw and Farouk. Farouk's in the Hall of Fame. Bradshaw will be one day. So you have two really great tag teams who would later go on to have like the, some of the best tag team matches in the WWF. And then you have two guys who just kind of suck. <laughs> <laughs> like Gangrel and Midian are just like, you know, no one's going to see Gangrel and Midian, you know? Like, yeah, they th- like th- like those two like it's it's like you had you had a really great tag team match and then you put two other guys in it. So um, so is the company at this point when they're deciding to keep Midian's name separate from the Acolytes? Are they trying to sort of promote Midian, or is it here's some cool guys and also there is technically Midian, I guess. More of the say, the, the second one, here's the thing. The Acolytes, Bradshaw and Farouk, they are a team. So it's like the Acolytes are teaming up with Midian. Okay. If that makes sense. So like Edge and Christian, they don't really have a team name, but they're Edge and Christian. I do. And they're teaming up with Gangrel. Like that the brood consists only of long-haired, white, uh, blonde-haired white dudes. Like, <laughs> they all look very similar. Well, I mean, if they they had to be, like, pale because they're vampires. Fair. It also bothers me that, that Gangrel and Christian are both wearing these white blouses and Edge is not. Okay, I actually have that in my notes here. I wanted to talk about that, too. Why isn't Edge getting with the program? He just looks like know. a regular dude when he once he gets into his wrestling attire and he's just I wearing his tights. Like, get with the program, dude. The shirt. You got to have the shirt. And I, thankfully, this... They did not last long as being a part of the brood. They eventually broke out because, thankfully, the WWF realized that they were actually good and wanted them to be on their own. Or they realized Gangrel was bad. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, basically, also, Midian had this weird eyeball in the ring. Yes, I have I no clue what that was about. I to talk about this eyeball because it seems like it's sort of, it's introduced as sort of a Chekhov's gun, right? I'm like, oh, man, somebody's going to have to, like, eat this eyeball or something gross is going to happen. And it just goes away. Never is mentioned again. Yeah, I kind of forgot about the eyeball until I was looking at my notes and and I saw that I wrote down Midian's eyeball with four question marks. I also wrote down eyeball, exclamation point, question mark. So we kick things off uh, with, with Christian and Midian. Um, and, and Christian actually looks really good because he, he's doing some, like, like, he's doing, like, a spinning heel kick, an arm drag. He's doing some good stuff. And then he tags in Gangrel, and we get Gangrel and Midian, and just... The lowest point just, of this match, I would say. It just, yeah, no, it really tanks, because both of them are really slow. But I think uh, that they, Edge and Christian here really show off 
some of what later becomes their staple of kind of this like very intricate aerial stuff that I I personally really like the style of. Yeah, and, and that that's really good. And but that that was the problem with this match is that they were getting overshadowed by the other by the other two guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I noticed I, the crowd absolutely hates Midian. Um, and I get that that's like part of it. Uh, and I do I I want to talk about this later with the Rock, and that's like what makes a good heel. Like, should the crowd hate you, and and how does that play? Yeah, I mean that's that's part of. I mean it's called it's called getting over, you know. Uh, and, and getting over either means you're being cheered or you're being booed when you're supposed to. Uh, so them them booing booing and and hating him that bad is pretty good. The pro the one thing with the Attitude Era is that like the face heel line kind of gets blurred because like good guys are doing bad things a lot of the times, and that's what makes people cheer. So uh, really, the the reaction you don't want is nothing. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's uh, that's that's really the worst you can. get. And so I noticed that the announce team during this match doesn't really call the match so much as they hype the later matches. That's what I was talking about. Yeah, they spend the whole time talking about the main event, which is kind of a problem that still exists now, and I really hate it because it's like we spent like uh, like two minutes like building up this match with the pre-match package. Uh, the uh, the the Rock Austin main event. So and they're still talking about it, which is kind of weird because like the other big through line in this show is the Ministry of Darkness, which that would have made sense to talk about now, but they don't. Uh, Not really. And so additionally, I think that okay. So in a six man match, obviously things are pretty crazy, right? And yeah. the rules of tagging people in are broken constantly. Um, yeah, if you pay really close attention, you'll notice some goof-ups. And so, that's why I think it's really funny to me that there's a, a moment in this match that's supposed to be kind of tense when, I believe it's Edge, is trying desperately. Uh, he he and, and the other guy are both down, and it looks like they're going to come and try to pin him. He's trying desperately to get over there and tag one of his partners in. Uh, but when you've broken the rules so many times, it's just kind of like, you feel like, well, why don't I just jump in? And the problem with tag team matches is there's pretty much only one way you can do them to build, like, suspense. And it's to beat up on the on the good guy for a long time until he eventually, like, manages to crawl to the corner and tag and get the hot tag, as they call it. And then the other guy starts beating him up, which is, which is what he does at one point. I did also want to point out that Edge does, like, this top rope spear at one point, which the spear later becomes his finishing move. He doesn't even try pinning him, so I guess he wasn't using it as a finisher here. I just thought that was really funny because, like, you know, later in his career, he's, like, spearing people off ladders and through tables and stuff. And now he just does it from the top rope and, like, doesn't even try for a pin. Yeah, I I saw that. I thought that was a cool move. I didn't know enough about him to know that that actually would wind up being his finisher. The, the end of the match gets actually really cool because— Christian like like jumps over the top rope, but Farouk catches him, and then Edge does like this baseball slide into both of them, which I think is kind of funny that he kicks his own partner to to knock them both. Down. Yes, um, and then that's when Viscera shows up. And uh, Viscera is also a member of the Ministry of Darkness, formerly known as Mabel, and they changed his name to 
fucking guts. Yeah, that's sort of a big jump. And could there be a lamer way for this match to end? Yes. The, the deus ex machina of Viscera coming in and, and finishing it. Well, uh, if you think someone showing up at the last minute and distracting someone to get the win okay. is disappointing, well, then get ready for a very disappointing pay-per-view. But, and then th- that's one thing that I want to do when we get down into these later matches is compare and contrast them to some of the lesser matches in, that's, in that's the pay-per-view fair. because it doesn't work here with Viscera for me. For me, that, that him popping into the ring was so lame because he shows up for two seconds and then he it's, just slams it's someone. It's at the very end. And it's, over. it's at the very end. Yeah, he just he just like throws Christian in the ring, and then and then Bradshaw pins him. Uh, whereas later, I think we get some very it. good storytelling out of the same yeah. device. Yeah, uh, it's it's the very late run in that that kind of spoils it. Uh, I, I ended up giving this match two stars out of five, uh, just because I think it did show off. Uh, Edge and Christian and the Acolytes pretty well, particularly Edge and Christian. Uh, and that that last part at the end was really good and really fun, but then Viscera's run-in kind of ruined it. Um, and also, Midian and Gangrel were in that match way too much. Oh, yeah. So, that's that's how I'd rank this. Yeah, I, I, I don't know enough to rank them on a five-star basis, but I know enough to know that I didn't really care for this one very much, though it had some cool moments, so I'm right there with you on that, too. Yeah. Uh, so we, we quickly go backstage, and we see The Rock dragging Austin's smoking skull belt. That That's kind of—it's a very weird storyline, because—so, like— yeah, there's a multi-belt uh, issue at play. Yeah, so Austin, like, in actually, like, several months ago, back when he was the champ in his second reign, he created his own belt, the Smoking Skull Belt, uh, and Vince stole it from him, and they never brought it back up until randomly now, when he gets the belt, the real belt back, and then he's like, I don't like the real belt, I want my personalized belt, and The Rock steals it, even though he talks about how crappy it is, he's like, oh, this belt's so ugly. But he still, like, keeps it around with him. <laughs> I guess to make Austin mad. And so it's it's really weird because, to me, it would make more sense if The Rock was chasing after the title and not Austin, who has the title, chasing after his personalized title. Why doesn't he just make a new one? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, so it's—let me see if I can get this straight. It is The Rock chasing the title held by Stone Cold, but Stone Cold chasing the belt that he likes that The Rock has. Yeah, so so The Rock just stole Stone Cold's personalized version of the real belt, and Austin wants it. Okay. It just doesn't make any sense for the champion to chase, like, yeah, the fake version of a real title. That he has. <laughs> it's very confusing. But, you know, uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, uh, we go into um, the Hardcore Championship match, uh, which I always liked the Hardcore Championship. And my favorite part about the Hardcore title is that it's a busted up version of an old, like, WWF world title. And they've, like, put duct tape around it and it says Hardcore on it. <laughs> I just always like that. 
And then we've got Hardcore Holly, who's the champion here, and and Al Snow. So give me give me your Hardcore your Holly looks like if Mike Pence had the hair of Eminem. <laughs> oh God! You know that's that's not bad. Uh, and Al Snow just I don't care for him. Okay, well, Al Al Snow is a pretty cool guy. Why, why don't you like him? Because I think that he's trying to do the, like, mentally unstable thing in a way that doesn't play well to me. I think that he, like, I, I like when we get to, to Mick Foley later, I like the Mankind version of that. I think he does it really well, but I think that Al Snow goes a little too over the top and into sort of a very goofy territory. You know, it's funny that you say that two reasons so first of all mick foley mankind and al snow are best friends in real life wow and also al snow so al snow originally wrestled in ecw and that's where he that's where he created this gimmick and it got him really over with the crowd in ecw yeah i I, these people love that baby doll head they changed some things in the wwf that was like yeah but no, people loved it. People loved the head gimmick. I, I was just and, like, and this Jerry is... Lawler loved it too because he loved making head puns. <laughs> like, like Al Snow's in the back getting head and like stuff like that. Yeah, no, the crowd just has all these signs and shirts and and just everything revolving and around this mannequin with, head with their own mannequin heads. Yeah, which to me was just wild because like I don't know. I I don't know. I I have problems with this guy. Because I, I even wrote down, everyone is way too jazzed for the mannequin. <laughs> uh, also, I, I want to point out that they like show well, you know some some of this rivalry and when they get all crazy because the idea is like the hardcore title, like in a hardcore match, you can like falls count anywhere in the arena and apparently in the world because they show a replay of when Hardcore Holly pins Al Snow in the Mississippi River. In the River. Mississippi River, which was kind of nuts, and that's. <laughs> I think that the reason that I, I have a little bit of beef with this match is because I it, it seemed like hardcore turned into a tour of just around the the stadium. Um, yeah, no, it, it it does get a little a little silly. Um, I, I I in my notes I wrote down Holly starts off hitting snow with the belt and i and i put in parentheses i said i wonder if it's more painful because it's like all broken and sharded up <laughs> and then we find out that he's bleeding so i guess that answers that question yeah um and we get into some sort of strange weapon use in this match um yeah we get like a jug uh, of yeah water. a jug of water what's going on with that that seems kind of lame to me well because i I don't know. That was the whole thing. They like to do like weird out there shit. No, I like the hockey uh, stick. I I thought that was kind of cool. The hockey stick sword. Yeah. I I also want to point out that Al Snow does this pretty impressive moonsault off the guardrail. Uh, that like d- like they don't pop for at all. Like the crowd is is like dead when that happens, and I'm like, why? That was that was. No, I might <laughs> that have was missed cool. that. What, what is that? A moonsault, that's just a backflip onto the other guy. So he, oh, he gets yeah, up yeah. On, on the guardrail and he backflips onto, onto, onto Bob Holly and then there's just nothing. I'm like, wow, okay. Uh, but, yeah, no, we, we get frying pans. 
Uh, and I, I like that uh, Jerry Lawler actually says, why do they have frying pans yeah, under a no, ring? I which actually, is a great I question. Down, uh, where he says, why do they keep tables and, uh, <laughs> tables and utensils under the, under the ring? I I will like to point out a a thing they like to go to like way too like they run this well dry when they do the whole like like wow they're really using everything including the kitchen sink yeah and they use a literal kitchen sink that's when this round goes like to me like hardcore here does not mean what I, I would think it means. It means wacky. It means, like, we're getting fucking Looney Tunes. Because as soon as they leave the ring, things just start to go a little bit, a little bit insane. And, well, that's part of the, part of the appeal is just the novelty and just, like, the weirdness of it. Um, and there are some times in this match where I really think, like, Jesus, they're going to hurt each other. Yeah, yeah, uh, there really are. And so, um, when then we go, so we go like sort of from ring to the the backstage. And then we go yeah. from backstage to outside the venue. Yeah, like they're in the parking lot smashing each other onto cars. Yeah, the, the car uh, spot, I think, was, was a high point for this. Uh, are you talking about when he throws him on the hood of the car and like jumps off of like the steps to the production truck with like an elbow drop yes and puts the big dent in the roof of the car so it seems like it's harder to sell when you're outside because yeah you it's kind of looks like these two dudes just like slowly ambling around and like finding things to pick up and hit each other with occasionally and it doesn't really feel adversarial as much as it feels like two guys slowly walking in a line from one place to another. Yes. Um, because there's even one point where he's, like, supposed to be, like, trying to throw him over a barricade. And Al Snow just, he just walks over it. Um, and, yeah, so it seems like, like, it, it, the idea of, oh, we're going to go to all these, like, non-ring locations is cool. But it's hard to keep pace and it's hard to sell outside the ring. Yeah, it also hurts that they do this in two other matches later. Yes, and I think in a better way in in at least one of them. Al Snow gets this table which looks really fucked up for some reason. Like it doesn't oh, look yeah, safe. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh and then and then of course the old the old you know tried and true whoever gets the weapon gets it used on them and Bob Holly suplexes Al Snow through this fucked up looking table. Uh, m- another thing I want to point out: so a hardcore match essentially means no, you know, you have to do, do whatever you want to the person. There are no rules; you just have to pit them in the ring, or or out of the ring. Which makes me so mad when they do this suplex to the table, and then the ref starts counting them out, which is like. Why? Yeah. How would you count? How would you win by count out in a hardcore match? Like that doesn't make any sense. That defeats the whole purpose of a hardcore match. And I match. actually it's think like, it's a hardcore match. Announcer says something about that, doesn't he? Yeah. Jr. mentions it. It's like, how do you have a hardcore match that ends with, well, neither of them could get up? Like, what a stupid ending. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And and so he ends up pinning him with the with the baby doll head in his arm. Yeah, he hits him with the head. He gives him head. 
and and wins. And this is this is that that's the, the here's why I'm I'm mad about the car spot earlier. So Al Snow throws Bob Holly off of the production truck onto a car and then jumps off of it with an elbow drop and gets a two count, but he hits him with a mannequin head and wins. Yeah, no, it's pretty dumb. I agree. I agree. Because I to me, the car spot is the big moment of that match. And I feel like with Falls being able to count anywhere, this match should have ended outside. It should never have ambled its way back into the ring. Because it just took a lot of time and it was it was mostly pointless to me. Yeah, I that's that's a good point. You're actually like because I actually gave this three stars. But now I'm kind of wondering if, if maybe it's a maybe a two and a half. Because I do think it's pretty entertaining and they put themselves through like a bunch of hell. Oh yeah. But absolutely much much like the first match, it's kind of all negated by the the shitty ending. Yeah. Yeah. It really t- it really takes the wind out of out of it, I think. Um But yeah, I would agree with that that assessment. I, I was really hard on this match, and I guess that's because In my limited knowledge, I'm such a fan of Mick Foley and his sort of hardcore work that the bar is set really high for me in that area. And you you get a lot of this during the Attitude Era of these, like, goofy hardcore matches. It gets even worse when... Because eventually the hardcore title gets introduced with this 24-7 rule, which means it can... The hardcore title can be defended at any time as long as you have a referee... Which is really ended up for some really stupid stuff like, you know, guys getting pinned while they were sleeping in their hotel rooms and getting chased through <laughs> playgrounds. And um, a woman known only as Ho winning the hardcore title. Oh, and speaking of hoes. Speaking of hoes, indeed. Um, our, our next contest here is uh, is for the Intercontinental Championship. We've got. Uh, Gold Dust, who's accompanied by the Blue Meanie for whatever reason. I have so many I... questions. You're going to have to explain. Just this match was an enigma to me. I think while I was watching it, we tried not to talk about this uh, outside of the recording, but I even texted you and was like, what the fuck? Well, here's the thing. So there are three people involved in this match. Godfather, Blue Meanie, and Gold Dust. And it's pretty sad when Gold Dust has like the least weird gimmick. Yeah. So, do you want to do you want to just explain what Godfather's gimmick is? I don't really know where to start. I don't know why he's called Godfather because he's not like in the mafia. He is a pimp. That's I mean, it really needs no more explanation than that. He is a pimp. He comes out with the hoe train, which is literally just he walks prostitutes out to the ring and the crowd pops for it and Jerry Lawler God, oh my horrible God, it's so bad. Decisions on commentary where he's, where Jerry Lawler's basically like, ah, yes, I would like to have sex with a prostitute. Yeah, no, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot bad that happens here. And I mean, we're fortunately there were no now, like almost twenty years later. So it's like a lot has changed. But you really going back to 1999, I didn't expect this level of oh well, see and. And that's not even that bad. Like, at least we didn't have any women's matches where Jerry Lawler's, like, asking for women to show their puppies. Which oh, which sure we're going to have to talk about later because, good God, was that a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, well, but that's that's just a par for the... That's, like, his damn catchphrase. But I- I- anyway, and I actually wrote down probably the weirdest line that Jerry says 
and that is, I love a nice shoulder tattoo. Yeah, no, I, I noticed when he said that, that was super weird. Um, and so I was sort of blown away by the hoe train to a certain point because it just, I just didn't, it was so hard to wrap my mind around and like the odd, like, and when it first gets announced, I'm like, oh, this is one of those one-off things that is going to go poorly. No, 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 no. It's like a fan favorite. Like the crowd is going nuts for the whole well, train. Okay, the Godfather's in the Hall of Fame. I can't believe. Okay, let's talk about this for a second. This is for the Intercontinental Championship. This is the company's second most important title, being defended by by a pimp versus whatever the fuck Gold Dust is, and. <laughs> Godfather also does this quick promo where he talks about lighting one up for twenty style. Oh my god! Um, which is incredibly hard to believe that we have a a man parading prostitutes around the ring and telling people to smoke weed. Sort of a big departure from the Captain Lou Albano. If you smoke weed, you'll go to hell before you die. Uh, so let's let's move on. To Gold Dust. So Gold Dust. The thing about Gold Dust is it, there's a lot to make fun. Of, and I know, like you, you, you like use him as the butt of a joke. The thing about Gold Dust is Gold Dust is still wrestling now and has never really retired. So Gold Dust has had Gold Dust has probably had the longest active wrestling uh, career of any WWE wrestler. He starts off as Goldust. He debuts as Goldust in 1995. And he's still wrestling as Goldust now. It's a shame that that is what stuck to him. But the thing is, it's not. It was a gimmick that got over and that he likes doing. Like, it's... I mean, I guess if he enjoys it... The thing is, I think that he's talented. And so... It's the weirdest thing. It's... It, that's the thing is like some weird ass gimmicks like the Undertaker really work. I don't really know how to describe his uh, gimmick, um, especially when he first started off. There was a lot of like really homophobic stuff where he would get called homophobic slurs a lot, and yeah. he would like, you know, like I remember he would like kiss other men and that's what would start his feuds and stuff so you know it's it's weird and it's meant to be weird this is also probably not the weirdest part of his phase there's Uh, just a lot of this round on the whole is just extremely problematic yeah uh and then and then also let's talk about the blue meanie yeah let's talk about the blue meanie because what i did not know he was wrestling I did not know he was wrestling for the WWF at this point because uh, he was in ECW for a long time, and then I guess he he stopped by the WWF for a little while. I don't really know what the what his gimmick is, other than he likes the color blue and is named uh, after the thing from Yellow Submarine. Yeah, that too. Uh, also, he calls Gold Dust mommy. Yeah, so there's actually a great line from the commentary where he gives a shout out to Frazier. Uh, he says, oh, I feel like I vaguely maybe remember Dr. Frazier can explain this one. Hey, it was 1999. Frazier was really popular. Frazier's blowing up in 99. Yeah. Um. So once all the shenanigans stop, we actually get a match, I suppose. 
it is, I mean, Blue Meanie is all over the place. Blue Meanie is way too involved in this match. Um, he he gives Goldust some powder or salt and some pocket sand. Yeah, some <laughs> some pocket sand, and Godfather knocks it back into Goldust's face. Uh, and so they do this whole spot where Goldust starts accidentally beating up the Blue Meanie, which and oh my God, the line from the commentary of "He's Ray Charles here!" Just <laughs> I boy, didn't even hear that one, man. That is that is bad. Yeah, and Goldust. Uh, it, like, I don't even know. Like, it's just this weird thing of like Goldust and Blue Meanie are beating up on each other accidentally, and then like, uh, Godfather stacks them up in a corner, splashes them, and then he hits, uh, he hits the Death Valley driver on Goldust for the win, and then celebrates with the hose. I gave this a one star yeah, because I, this was not a match. I wrote this, down what a bad match, what a terrible was, match. I mean, Blue Meanie was way too much in the match. Uh, I mean, it did tell a story, so I mean, it's not it's not zero stars, <laughs> which is the best thing I can say about it. Um, wow. Uh, anything else you have to say about that one? Oh, my God. I mean, yes, but nothing that would be productive or meaningful. Okay. Well, that's exactly how I would describe this match, not productive <laughs> or meaningful. Again, let me remind you that this was for the company's second most important title. Uh, we go backstage really briefly. Michael Cole interviewing Al Snow and Head in the bathroom. And Snow is, like, arguing with Head. And apparently Head is, like, trying to say that it's the real hardcore champion. That is champion. what I was going to say. Is that what that was trying to imply? Is that the Head is the really the hardcore yeah. champion? Yeah. I have a theory about this show, and that, that is that they were way under, and they're trying to fill time. Because there are a lot of these backstage segments that feel like they're just time fillers. Yeah. Because it is a relatively short pay-per-view. I was really surprised. It's only like two and a half hours. And so I feel like they were like trying to like make their time, because there's a lot of these random backstage things that serve seemingly no purpose. Um and so uh, I think that we're, like, nestled very firmly in what I'm going to say is the horny part of the show, beginning with Godfather <laughs> and moving into this next match. Oh, oh, yes, yes. Okay, you're right, you're right. So, yeah, we have we have the horny part of the show. So we have a tag team title number one contenders match. Uh, I do need to briefly talk about these, these two teams. So we have the New Age Outlaws, Road Dog and Billy Gunn, against Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart. Uh, New Age Outlaws are a part of D-Generation X, uh, which was a very much like your trash TV group uh, that like did a bunch of gross things and made dick jokes all the time. We originally started out with Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels broke his back, so Triple H became the leader uh, right after WrestleMania in 14, so the year prior. So this group has been around for just over a year now. Which is weird because they're already starting to split up because later in the show, Triple H is no longer a part of DX because he's like gone off on his own and he's he's wrestling X Pac. So at this point in 1998, 1999, the group is uh, Triple H, uh, New Age Outlaws, X Pac, and China. But Triple H and China have left the group at this point, so it's just the New Age Outlaws and X Pac. So it's really, 
It's really not DX anymore, which I just think is so weird that the group is splintering up after, like, reforming, like, the new version barely a year ago. And so, and from that faction, we're dealing with two guys whose nicknames are, if I'm correct, um, Doggy Style and Mr. Ass? Well, his nickname is not Doggy Style, but there are a lot of signs like that. No, but Billy Gunn's name is Mr. And for a while, he went just by Mr. Ass. And it's it was weird. Um, you you they come out with the the DX theme music, I believe. But Billy Gunn's like solo, like whenever he would wrestle his own matches, his song his theme song it was called "I'm an Ass Man," and it would just talk. It would, the like the lyrics are actually let me look up the lyrics if, if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm an ass man. Yeah, I'm an ass man. I love to love him. I love to kick him. I love to shove him. I love to stick him. Love to flaunt him. Love to watch him. I love to pick him. And I'm gonna kick him. Wow. That's just... Oh, and, 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 and we get... We get even better. I, although better is probably not the right word. So many asses, so little time. Only a tight one can stop me on the dime. I'm a lover of every kind. The best surprises always sneak up from behind. Man, I can't... Oh, my <laughs> like, did, uh, God. Did Robin Thicke write this song? <laughs> Jesus. So, yeah, so... And it's, it's, it's funny, because... These guys are actually a pretty good tag team. But speaking of pretty good tag teams, we have Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart, which they did not last long as a tag team, unfortunately, because this was 1999. So only a month later, Owen Hart is gonna is is gonna have his very tragic death at Over the Edge 1999, um, where he's coming down from the ceiling for the because he had this like superhero gimmick and the. The harness breaks and he and he falls to his death, uh, live in front of the crowd. Oh my god! So this is uh, so this is only a month away from this. So this is this is one of his last pay per view matches. Owen Hart is probably the wrestler who, you know, probably one of the best wrestlers to never really make the big time. Probably because he didn't have enough time to do it. Because um, you know he's part of the very famous Hart wrestling family, including. Bret Hart, Jim Neidhart. Uh, so his his family is is all wrestling. They trained with their grandpa in the so called Hart Dungeon, uh, literally in their basement. You know, wrestling each other. So uh, you know, it's a shame that we don't get to see more of this team because uh, I think they actually work really really well uh, together. Uh, they also come out with Deborah, who uh, you may not know because they don't mention it on commentary, is uh, Steve Austin's wife. Oh, huh. So, uh, but again, this is the 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 winner of this match is going to be the number one contender for the tag team championship, which is uh, the champs at this point are X Pac and Kane, which is weird because Kane is not a part of DX, but he is partners with X Pac. Uh, and they kind of point out the fact that, well, if the New Age Outlaws win, they're going to have to face their, you know, DX uh, teammate in, in X-Pac. Um, 
So uh, the next part I have written down is when is when Road Dog uh, makes a makes a request to uh, to Deborah. You want to talk about that? Yeah, because I think that that sets the tone for this match. Which, honestly, I don't know if the wrestling in this match is good or not because I was so preoccupied with the crowd being so preoccupied with Deborah's boobs. Because uh, he asked her to, quote, show me your puppies. And the thing is, and this is what I really do hate about this, is like, so if Deborah had, like, fucking choke slammed him when he said that, that would have been, I think, kind of sick. But. Yeah. Yeah, so she, and like. It's a running thing that, like, she just really wants to show her boobs to the crowd, but Jeff Jarrett just keeps having to stop her. And it's kind of gross. It's really gross. Um, and that's why I'm saying we're firmly in the horny part of this show. See, and, and this is where I think the difference comes in between you and me, where you're not familiar with wrestling, and I am. Because I just glossed over all this because I'm so used to it, because that's how things went. I'm like, man, if you think this is bad... You know, wait till uh, Kane has sex with a dead woman's corpse. I, are we going to cover that? I, please tell me we're going to cover that because I'm uh, sure I've got shit I to say not. about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, yeah, and then and then we do we do something else where Road Dog tells Billy Gunn to show him that ass. Oh yeah, yeah. And he tries, but uh, they get attacked, and um. Billy Gunn actually looks pretty good here. He's, like, super athletic, and uh, really the only weak link here is Road Dog. Yeah, who, um, I should mention, has cornrows and does say the word shiznit. Um, uh, JR asks King a really uh, weird question at one point. He says, do you have a breast fetish? And he says yes! He says... <laughs> well, of course he does. It's like his whole gimmick. Yeah. Is it's like Jerry Lawler, he dresses like a king... And is just, just like popping a huge boner uh, all the time. It, it, the end of the match is actually pretty good, with the exception of one, to me, very noticeable bum, bumble that I believe commentary even points out. So, so it's Jarrett and Road Dog in the ring. Road Dog tags in Billy, and they start fighting both guys. And then Billy clotheslines Jarrett. And himself over the top rope. And then back in the ring, Road Dog hits a pump handle slam on Owen and pins him, even though neither one of them are the legal men. It's 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 Billy Gunn and Jeff Jarrett that are supposed to be in the match. Oh, man, I didn't even realize that. Ro Road Dog and Owen both, like, because I've seen that happen every now and then where they, they mess up one person is not the legal man, but neither of them are. And, like, the whole spot was... <laughs> Billy Gunn just made this hot tag and starts running in the ring, and then he clotheslines himself out of the ring. <laughs> and then the two wrong guys pin it, pin each other. And then <laughs> Owen gets the sharpshooter locked in on Road Dog. Jeff Jarrett has the figure four on Billy Gunn. And then uh, Jarrett gets pushed out of the ring, and then Billy Gunn hits the Famaster on Owen and pins him. Oh, and, man. And those two, at this point, are the legal men. And <laughs> so they corrected it, but the, so that other pin made no sense. And I, I believe commentary even references it. So it's, we just had this <laughs> one weird pin where the referee got confused, I guess, because neither, 
So the two right guys end up in the finish. We just had this one moment where it was just wrong. So, uh, and then of course afterwards, Billy Gunn pulls his pants down for no reason. Yeah, and is wearing uh, like a like a thong, which is um, yeah. What a weird gimmick! Like what a weird, what a it's weird not thing. Really, like you know, we can talk about weird gimmicks like Goldust and Godfather, but like this guy just likes butts of all including his own. Yeah, including his own. He <laughs> he loves his own ass. Uh, I I gave this a three and a half stars actually because the wrestling was really good, good pacing. Good storytelling, even though the crowd was much. I more would give it a negative moves. one for horny, too horny. Too, this match was way too horny. I think that no. I think that Godfather got him, got those nerds ramped up, and then then Deborah just came in and just oh my god, it's so horny. Fine, I still <laughs> say three point five because the wrestling was really good. The only thing that was really glaring was that weird botched pin. Um. So we go backstage one more time. We got Michael Cole interviewing Shane McMahon. So that's another another important point of the main event, which again we're yes. referencing the main event as much as we can. So Shane McMahon, son of Vince McMahon, who is the owner of the company, it's very weird because Vince, Vince and Austin have this feud that lasts like Austin's whole career, um, and Vince has aligned with The Rock. Shane is, like, aligned with Austin, and at some point, Shane has taken over the company for Vince. So it's like, Shane doesn't like Stone Cold, but he also doesn't like Vince, so he's in, like, this weird middle ground. And Michael Cole even asked him, because he's going to be the special referee for the main event, he's like, are you going to call it down the middle? And he's like, I swear on my dead grandfather's name yeah. that I will, I will make the count. Um, and um, so what's going on here between Shane and Vince? Because that was sort of the missing piece for me is like, because they talk about Shane's in charge, but like in charge of what and why and so what's going on there? By in charge, they mean in charge of the company. He like, in in kayfabe, which, uh, let's go ahead and make that our word of the day. Kayfabe. Kayfabe is a word in wrestling, which means, uh, basically that's how they say, you know, this is the storyline. So if someone says, you know, in kayfabe, uh, Shane took over the company, that means he didn't actually take over the company. He just took it over in the storyline. Or if someone says they broke kayfabe, that means they broke character, they broke the fourth wall, what have you. But in kayfabe, Shane has taken over the company because apparently he says that Vince is going soft. The reason being that he's not trying to screw with Austin anymore because he's too preoccupied because The Undertaker is stalking Stephanie, his daughter. And Shane is like, who cares about a cult leader trying to steal my sister? You have to, like, fuck around with your enemy. And so that's the whole point. So Shane takes over the company because... Vince is too concerned with protecting his daughter from being kidnapped by a cult leader. Ah. So, yeah, there you go. Which we then go into when we go backstage with Kevin Kelly, Vince McMahon, and Stephanie McMahon. So Kevin Kelly's interviewing them. Um, uh, Stephanie says that she believes that Shane's going to count the one, two, three. But Vince says he's he doesn't care. He's taking care of his family. 
Uh, then why are you there? Why are you in the same building as The Undertaker anyway? Why is yeah. Stephanie there when <laughs> she is at this point not a wrestler, not anything? Why did you bring her? Why didn't you just tell her to stay at home? Who knows? They don't really explain that. Um, anyway, let's go on to our next match, which is a boiler room brawl. Um, I actually really like this match. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a weird one, and it's one that's only happened a few times, which in, at this point it's only happened once, and which I think is funny when JR says Mankind's never lost a Boiler Room Brawl, but there's <laughs> only been one. Um, so, yeah, basically the idea of a Boiler Room Brawl, which is you start in a Boiler Room, which I don't really know what a Boiler Room is. I guess it's where they boil stuff. Um, but you start in a boiler room, which is where mankind lives. Who knows? <laughs> and you have to escape. Yeah, mankind is a is a crazy lunatic who wears a crazy mask. God, uh, I love him so much. I love play, the the character is so good, and I think that here especially Foley does a great job of bringing him to life. So we we got mankind versus Big Show. This is uh, a, also a rematch from WrestleMania 15. Uh, Big Show. Big Show is actually. Very new into his WWE career. He defected from WCW. He wrestled in WCW for a while. And I know this goes uh, without saying, but what a big dude. What a big show. <laughs> Too <laughs> big show. Yes. So so we got Big Show who is aligned with the corporation, which is was Vince McMahon's group and now is Shane McMahon's group of people who mess with... Steve Austin and Mankind in particular. Basically, the idea, I will say this. I, this is why I hate matches kind of like this, the like boiler room brawls. Because to me, I hate the idea of the gimmick is whoever can run away fastest Yes, wins. I was just thinking, I was thinking that when I was watching. I was like, why doesn't he just walk into the boiler room and then walk right back out of the boiler room? Yeah, well, it's, and I, I think that's kind of stupid because like, it's like whoever's the biggest coward can win. Yes. So, but that's the idea: is the way to win is to leave the boiler room. Now, I think what would have been better is it's the first person to be thrown out of the boiler room loses, sort of Jazzy Jeff style. <laughs> uh, so basically, yeah, it's just this big. Br- it's uh, it's again kind of like the Al Snow and Harker Holly match where they're just fighting around backstage, throwing random shit at each other. But like you said. You think they did it a lot better? I think they did it so much better. Because, to me, this is what hardcore looks like. This is what, like... I mean, just to to run through some of the things that happen, uh, we've got just a shit ton of weapons, obviously. The shopping cart, he puts uh, Mankind, Big Show puts Mankind into a shopping cart and rams him at these, like, uh, little foldable platform things... Uh, that yeah. are really cool. He like smashes him through a table, uh, buries him in a bunch of pipes, and like it gets really bloody. He, he smashes glass on his head. Yes, he smashes glass on his head. It gets it gets insanely bloody. Um, I th- I think like the biggest like the like coolest thing that they do is the bloody handprint. Yeah, the bloody handprint is like, like when he is crawling if they had done this match the without the bloody handprint spot, like it would have been way worse. I agree. I agree. And but the showmanship here to me is really great. Like it's it's just very it feels more believable, which is strange to say in wrestling because obviously we know that it's not real. 
But um, it feels way more believable to me than the hardcore uh, championship match earlier in the in the show. Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, and the eventually mankind wins by like burying show under some pipes. It's hard for us to really go through everything in this match because it's it's really just a fight. Yeah, uh, it's just like, it, it, and it. it is very brutal. It's extremely brutal, I think, um, which to me lives up to the sort of hardcore name that instead was like Looney Tunes. Um, Although, to, to, I will say, it, uh, it's probably one of Mick Foley's tamer matches. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. But like we said, you know, um, with the, the bloody handprint on, he leaves a bloody handprint on a table, and then when he's like, he's crawling out towards the door of the venue, and he's leaving blood trailing behind him. Um, super, it's super sick. I loved it. Yeah. So, yeah, eventually he crawls out bloody out of the boiler room, wins... As soon as he walks out, he gets attacked by Big Boss Man and Test, who are both part of the corporation, Vince McMahon's big stable that also includes Big Show. I don't know why Big Show gets up and just starts fighting Test and Boss Man. It's never really explained. Yeah, that was weird. Uh, I'd have to look into it as to why that happened. Uh, I guess I think they were trying to, you know, turn Big Show face. Mankind puts Mr. Socko in Test's yeah! mouth. Uh, for those who don't know, Mr. Socko is a literal... Gym sock that mankind pulls out of his pants, puts on his hand, and stuffs into people's mouths. And can I talk about why I why I like Sako more than I like Mannequin Head? Sure. Because I think that Sako is used as a tool, whereas Mannequin Head is used as a gimmick. Um, like Sako is used sparingly. And I mean, later when we get Rock and Sock combo with the comedy well, is really good. And it was also like. Just a way of enhancing the finisher he already did. Yeah. The mandible claw where he like he does some sort of nerve hold in your mouth. Mr. Sako to me is a fun, cool accessory, whereas the mannequin head is your brand. Um, and yeah. to me, that's the difference between the two, and that's why I love Sako. I hate mannequin head. Uh, I actually, again, this is where you and I differ. I gave this match two and a half stars only because it wasn't really a match to me. And that's fair. I see that. That's, I mean, it's, I think the premise is stupid. The execution was good. Yeah. Uh, Well, it's not even the premise. It's just that, like, it can't really qualify as a match. They weren't really, like, wrestling. They weren't really, like, doing wrestling maneuvers to each other. They were just hitting each other with stuff, which was fun to watch. It was very entertaining, but... To, uh, to rank it higher than like the actual matches on the card. Although I did rank it higher than two actual matches on the card. <laughs> um, no, I, 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 it's hard to do. At the end of that, though, and Mick Foley comes back in and he's doing the whole like timid thing. I love that where he says, "I've got this quote written down. I don't want to fight the big show anymore. I got kids." And he like walks <laughs> you through the match thing by thing. He's like, he tried, he could have, he could have broke all my ribs. <laughs> and it's fun to see Mick Foley go from like fucking fighting and being super brutal to this sort of timid Midwestern style thing that he's doing. I I thought that was a lot of fun. I liked it a lot. So now we're getting into uh, into like our our our. You know, final few matches are big attractions on the card. Um, we're going to X-Pac versus Triple H. 
two members of D-Generation X, Triple H, who is was the leader of DX and is now really kind of aligned with the corporation. Fucking everybody was, I guess. Um, so, and Triple H has China, which, interestingly, uh, Triple H and China were dating at this point. Um, and now, I think that China is such a good sort of foil to what we saw earlier from Deborah. Because yeah, China's no, it, badass. Yeah, China's super badass. I mean, China was wrestling men. Uh, China's uh, China's really awesome. Uh, a wrestler who unfortunately does not get her due in the modern day because she did porn. So and like, okay, so did Hulk Hogan, <laughs> yeah. and so did X Pac with China. Oh wow. Um. So so X Pac comes out. He comes out to DX music. Um, and Triple H comes out to some weird generic music that I don't ever remember him having. Um, yeah, so what's the backstory between these two? Because there's a feud here. They talk about Triple H made X-Pac, put him over. How how did all that go down? So uh, right after, like I was saying, you know, it was originally Shawn Michaels-led DX with Triple H in China, uh, but Shawn Michaels hurt his back, so he left the company. And Triple H took over as the leader of DX, and the first person he brought in was X-Pac, because in real life, um, it was Shawn Michaels, Triple H, X-Pac, and then a couple other guys were part of the clique. So they were like these backstage, you know, movers and shakers. They were kind of like in the management's ear and everything. So they're actually really good friends in real life, and and that's why he brought him in from WCW. So at WrestleMania, Triple H and China turn on X-Pac during his match against Shane McMahon. Um, Basically because he's like, X-Pac's holding me down and everything. And and mostly so that Triple H can go join the corporation. They start brawling as soon as the bell rings. They go on the outside. Um, X-Pac is hitting some really great offense and he's looking really good. Uh, I, I do like that the, the announcers are really selling X-Pac's neck injury uh, that he got earlier in his career when he took some time off between going from WCW to the WWF. Um, they're really selling that as part of the storytelling of the match, and Triple H is like focusing on it. Uh, that's always really good when they, when they do stuff like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They really do play that up. And that's where I was talking about earlier at the top of the show about the announcer's role as a storyteller and filling in some of these details. Because I think he does some really good work here when he's talking about, you know, they've been on the road together and he's probably even seen the x-rays. Like, they really do a good job of what is pure, obviously, uh, improv, but making it feel like there's a lot of cool details in the story, making it feel real. Yeah, and if you don't get that, you know, it, it, it can really make a match. Or break a match when you have King talking about puppies. Yeah. Um, and But no, they, they do a really good job of that. And, and that's also part of the action in the ring because Triple H is really focusing on his neck and really beating on it. You know, he puts him in like a, like a face lock. He does a knee drop to the back of his head to try to, you know, focus in on, you know, that one area. I always love it when matches kind of build around you know, a wrestler's prior injury. Yeah. And so they, they focus on it. And in a way that it's really making Triple H out to be a bad guy here, I think. Like, he looks, yeah. he comes off as being just extremely brutal 
on Xbox. Yeah. And, uh, and I even wrote down a line JR said. He said he's he's telling he says he's like Xbox just just take the loss and go home, which is really building him up to be a fighter and fighting through everything. He's like just and he even calls Triple H a bad human being. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, China and, and here's what you might have been talking about earlier with Viscera. I think China does a really good job of being involved in the match, but not taking it up. Yes, a la Blue Meanie, because uh, you know Pac will go out to the outside of the ring, and then China like uh, drops him on his face on the guardrail. Um, she distracts the ref a couple of times um, so that you know Triple H can come back and everything. Um, the, the whole, like, story here is that, is that X-Pac keeps getting beat down, but he, he, he keeps fighting back. Um, you know, he hits some heel kicks, a big clothesline, a tornado DDT from the middle rope, uh, which is really impressive. It gets a two count. Um, Triple H goes for the pedigree, which is his, his finisher. Uh, and, and the story here was really... As someone who knew nothing about it, I was able to come in and sort of track this feud uh, through. Well, that's and that's that's pretty good. Uh, we get a ref bump, uh, believe it or not, our first of the night, uh, where the ref gets taken out, and so uh, you know China really starts getting involved. She hits a low blow, uh, reverse DDT on him. Uh, China puts Triple H on top of Xbox for him to get the win. And then that's when Kane's music hits. We get fire and everything. Yes. China doesn't even flinch. She's like, come on, you big red bastard. And Kane comes in, tries to chokeslam China. Triple H breaks it up. He gets chokeslammed. China gets chokeslammed. And then uh, and then he puts them in both corners. Uh, and, puts, and just as the ref starts coming back into the ring... And then Xbox hits Bronco Busters on both of them, which is a weird move where he just jumps. Yeah, on that their is face that was sort of a weird first. one. But everyone loves it. The crowd pops for it huge. Um, and then here we go with yet another case. I feel like of a really great match being ruined by kind of a shitty ending yep. because to me, after all of that. For him to just turn right around into a pedigree and and lose, I was wrong. Triple H was still burying people back then. Yeah, like what the hell? Like Xbox should have won that match. That was that was the thing with me is like the and that's where I think that we were talking about people coming in earlier, like Viscera coming in for two fucking seconds, which was super lame. Here, when Kane comes in, it's cool because obviously the you get the theme music and the fireworks and everything, and he gets a big entrance and he he gets to do something. That is cool rather than just grab someone for two seconds. I can understand why they made Triple H win here because he's like the the up-and-comer. Well, not really the up-and-comer. He's sort of getting established. He's about to get a main event push. But they should have made him win in a different way. They should have like had like had it been like some screwy finish where China screws him over. Not where Kane lays out both people and X-Pac still can't win. Like, yeah, because that just makes X-Pac look terrible. It makes him look really bad. Um, I still gave it four stars because I thought it was really good. It just had that bad ending, which is like a theme for Triple H where he just... It looks like the guy's going to win. The story points to him 
that he should win. Yeah. But Triple H wins anyway. Um, so I, I, I still thought it was a pretty good match, though. Uh, the best match we've seen so far. I agree. I agree. Um, we pretty much go right from that match into the next match. Uh, I assume Xbox still, like, getting, like, uh, scraped off the mat, uh, as, as, uh, Ken Shamrock comes out. Uh, we got Kim Shamrock versus The Undertaker, which is really interesting because Ken Shamrock is an MMA fighter, and Undertaker is, like, a huge, like, MMA fan in real life. And so here we go. We finally are starting to get our culmination of our Ministry of Darkness thing that's going throughout the whole thing. He comes out with Paul Bearer, and I'm going to briefly explain yeah, the relationship please between do. Undertaker and Paul Bearer. Uh, so Paul Bearer uh, started managing Undertaker pretty early on in his career. In the storyline, Paul Bearer is Undertaker's stepdad. Um, Paul Bearer had, because for those who don't know, because they, they have not interacted at all in the show, Undertaker and Kane are brothers in the story. Paul Bearer being Kane's father, he like had an affair with Kane, with Undertaker's mom and therefore was Kane. And then Undertaker killed his parents in their funeral home and thought he killed Kane, but Kane is actually just very badly burned, except for he wasn't really burned because when he takes off his mask a few years later, he looks normal. Reconstructive <laughs> surgeries a come a long way. It's well then they try to like pull this whole thing. It was actually mental scars the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Um but anyway, so that's who Paul Bearer is. Uh Undertaker is actually getting, like, more human now. Like, he used to be, like, completely mystical. He was controlled by an urn. He's starting to morph into more of, like, an actual person who is just dark. Who's just edgy, yeah. And so the thing here is that I knew from the moment this match started, I was like, Shamrock's done. This This is obviously a match for The Undertaker to win. It was very yeah. obvious from the get-go that, like, this is a match for Undertaker to win. Um, well, because Ken Shamrock is, is a guy who never really got his... He he was always kind of close to going to the big time, but never really did. Um, he, he Basically, Ken Shamrock's whole gimmick was he used to be in UFC. Now he's in wrestling. There you go. I, I do like how, like... I guess they couldn't or didn't want to say UFC, so they kept saying he's from the ultimate fighting world. Yeah, yeah, they call him the king of the octagon at one point. The kind of backstory here is that the Ministry had kidnapped Ken Shamrock's sister, Ryan. They love kidnapping people, apparently. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, we actually get to the match. Undertaker hits this really awesome like flying clothesline where he does a front flip. Yeah, I remember this guy's yeah, pounds that's and what seven I, feet I, tall. That struck a chord with me, too, because I'm like, you don't really see Undertaker. You don't really see this big dude go up in the air very often. Uh, we have another really good storytelling where Ken Shamrock is, like, uh, focusing on Undertaker's legs so that he can, like, kind of take him off his vertical base. Announcers are really selling that really well. 
Uh, also, Ken Shamrock's finisher is the ankle lock, so he's obviously trying to do that. Yeah, and he plays uh, the character well of, like, this guy who is sort of in middle of all of the goofy bullshit, very tactical and very um, sort of focused on technique. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of, and I think that Kurt Angle, in a lot of ways, has that same character to him, too. Yeah. Uh yeah, a lot of people compare the two of them together. For one thing, they both have the same finisher. Um, but uh, Shamrock puts his leg like uh, on the steel steps and stomps on it. Uh, Taker starts to fight back. Uh, Shamrock gets him in an armbar. The unfortunate thing about this is the crowd hates it. They start chanting boring. Yeah. Because uh, this is not really the time, like I said, the wrestling was more, like, focused on goofy and, like, you know, craziness. This one is where the wrestling's really good, but the crowd is just not having it. I don't like uh, this crowd. I think that the yeah. crowd is the true villain of this show. <laughs> I will say, I think it was a little too slow. I, at, yeah. At this point in the match, yeah, it's fine, but it never really picked up, which was a shame. I agree. Um... Um, we get more, the whole match is basically Shamrock working Undertaker's leg, um, until Taker starts working on his back, he rams him into the turnbuckle post, back first, uh, he starts, Undertaker starts doing submission holds, which is kind of out of character for him, um, Shamrock does a crazy Hurricane Rana, um, which is, you know, he flips him over with his legs, uh, which is crazy for a guy, you know, even of Ken Shamrock's size. Oh, yeah. Um, the guy, they actually both start looking like they're kind of tired. The announcers are selling it, but I'm, I'm part of me wonders if they actually are pretty tired. Um, it does seem, it seems like it's a little groggy. Yeah. Uh, of course, apparently no match on this card is complete without a run-in because Bradshaw comes running down with a baseball bat. Which was super but, unnecessary, I think. Yeah, it was unnecessary because Shamrock cuts him off before he can get in the ring, so it doesn't even matter. <laughs> uh, Undertaker tries to do a choke slam, and Ken Shamrock does this crazy midair reversal into an armbar that was pretty fucking cool. Uh, Paul Bearer tries for the distraction. doesn't work. Uh, Shamrock hits the, the belly-to-belly suplex. And then Ken Shamrock tries to steal Undertaker's finisher. He tries to hit him with the Tombstone Pile Driver. Undertaker flips back over into his own Tombstone Pile Driver, which was dope. And yeah, no, it was a pretty, a pretty dope finish. Although I feel like we just started to see it pick up, and then it ends. Uh, yeah, yeah. I gave it th- three out of five because I thought the storytelling was good, but it did get unnecessarily slow and ended just as it was starting to pick up. And it was definitely uh, one of those where it's like, I don't know, I, you knew who was going to win the whole time. There wasn't a lot of tension. Um, yeah. Undertaker is way too hot at this point to lose to Ken Shamrock. Yes. Um, it, also, the interference from both Paul Bear and Bradshaw was totally unnecessary because it didn't even affect the match. Yeah, and, like, it, it was just it was just kind of lame. It was kind of lame. Uh, so, I, and then after Bradshaw starts beating up Shamrock with a... He brings the baseball bat, but he doesn't actually use it until he tries to choke him with it, except if you look really closely, he's not even choking him with the bat. He's choking him, like, with his own hands, but is just holding the bat. Yeah. <laughs> it was really weird. 
Um, well, so then we go into our main event. We get the pre-match package showing all the backstory of this feud. Yeah, and, and the Rock punched Stone Cold off a bridge. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, the Rock attempted murder. Um, <laughs> and then uh, Austin ran. Austin ran over the Rock's car with a monster truck. Um, uh, 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 let me clarify. This is all in like the pre-match buildup. This didn't happen on. Th- all this didn't happen on this show. Uh, Shane McMahon hits him with a shovel. Uh, we get into the match, and the announcers remind us that the match is now no holds barred. Shane McMahon is the special referee, and Austin. If Austin attacks Shane during the match, he'll get disqualified. So I guess that means it's like one hold barred. <laughs> No, it's the only, like, no disqualification match where you can get disqualified. We do quickly go backstage where Stephanie is being put into a car and Vince is like, which doesn't make any sense. First of all, why did he bring her to to the event if she was in danger? And then why did he say, sit in this car for, like, 15 more minutes alone? And also, he kisses her on the mouth. <laughs> Which, yep, super gross. It, that, it was all, it was very weird, very bad. Uh, th- then, uh, this is Stephanie's, like, first angle in wrestling. Um, <laughs> which is foreshadowing an angle in 2003 where they, Vince wanted to do an incest where angle. Where they came real Stephanie. close. They came real close. But instead of doing an incest angle, he just did a child abuse angle. So it's fine. <laughs> Oh, boy. Uh, okay, so let's move on to the match. Uh, uh, Shane comes out to Vince's music, for whatever reason. Um, uh, the Rock comes out holding the skull belt, uh, which Shane tells the guy at ringside to go hide in his office. Um, you wanted to talk about the most electrifying man in sports entertainment, The Rock. Yeah, I love The Rock. Um, and I realize that that's a very amateur thing to say because everyone loves The Rock. But yeah, do something original, man. Yeah, yeah, but he's just so good. He's just so good because like he has this ability to improv and just be a great storyteller, great actor on the spot and just make it so fucking good. And here I really just love I I love this match. I thought it was really great. Um but you know, these guys have had plenty of matches probably Arguably one of the best rivalries in wrestling history, Rock and Austin. And again, they're not like, you know, your Ken Shamrocks or Kurt Angles and putting on these impressive matches with these impressive holds. They're just good performers, which this one really shows that because this one gets wacky, but in a way that's like you can't help but watch. Yeah, in a way that's just really fucking cool. Uh, I think that this match starts off, I mean, from start to finish. It is going. It's the pace is so good. Yeah, Austin runs right in the ring, throws the title up in the air, and starts fighting with the Rock immediately. They pretty much immediately go right to the outside. Yeah, when he throws him over that fence or into the fence, that was real. I love that. Yeah, he throws him like into this fencing on the side of the stage. The Rock throws Austin into it. It comes tumbling down later. Austin does the same thing to Rock, so they've destroyed the entrance ramp, like, within less than five minutes of the show. Yeah. The crowd is going crazy. They're chanting Austin. 
Rock hits Austin with a fire fire extinguisher. Um, they're throwing each other into these like utility boxes and uh, choking each other with cables. It's really fun, and they uh, like and just the way that they keep moving. Right, the way that it's like constantly on the move because he throws him out, and then like a lot of this match takes place outside the ring, throws him into the crowd at one point, and I think that this goes back to contrast with what we saw out of that hardcore match earlier, in that it works because the movement is quick. It feels like they're really throwing each other around. They're not slowly following each other from place to place. Yeah. And they don't need to, like, I mean, he grabs a fire extinguisher at one point. They, like, throw those boxes into each other. But they don't need to grab all these crazy weapons. I mean, they're, like, suplexing each other on concrete. So, I mean. Yeah. Uh, it, it's 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 fun. It, there's one point where he, like, Austin, like, slams this box into the rocks. Like, he it's, like, on wheels, and he, like, slams it into his head. And it sounds fucking hard. Yeah, it um, does. They uh, they finally move back to the ringside area. Austin and Shane start. Ar- oh, no, no, they're back in the ring, and Austin and Shane start arguing. Um, and that's when The Rock tries to capitalize on the distraction, but Austin just flings him over the top rope. Like I mean, he goes flying. Um, uh, they go over to the Spanish announce table, and uh, Jr. and King start making some off-color Mexican jokes. Yeah, that was kind of gross. But I think that when the fight gets to the Spanish announce table is where it really starts going off the rails. And that's the case for every match. So uh, for those of you who don't know, the Spanish announce table is like a trope in wrestling. For some reason, it's been like the go-to thing to put somebody through specifically the Spanish announce table, where the Spanish commentators sit. Um... And Rock and Austin do it really well. I actually listened to part of a podcast where Austin was talking about the concept of the announce table. Huh. Uh, and he said that, well, for one thing, you have to get clearance to break the announce table. Like, you can't just go doing it. Like, yeah, you, it, that like, makes res- sense. Yeah, it's reserved for, like, big matches. And honestly, I don't know, like any Rock Austin match where they don't, like, fight on the announce table. <laughs> um, but here, but, uh, it was really and especially cool, I think. We, we go to the Spanish announce table uh, where Austin hits, or Rock hits a low blow and then uh, gives him the rock bottom through the table. Uh, just crunches. Yeah. Um, and then, then we're not done with the announce table. Well, we're, well, we're done with one of them. We go to the to the main announce table, um, and and the rock uh, the rock puts on a headset and starts doing commentary, like for Austin. He's like rock bottom through the table, and he like calls him a piece of trash and stuff. Yeah, it's so good because I I mean all of that's got to be improv, right? Like I don't think that he came in with those lines memorized. Well, no, I don't. I, I do think they probably planned it beforehand. Oh, they definitely like, planned for him this? to grab the headset, but I don't think he knew what he was going to say until he was in that moment. Well, The Rock the rock is never scripted. Yeah, um, and it was and just so, we, so good. So we're at the other table, and The Rock puts Austin on top of the, the, the English announce table, and then he goes and grabs a camera <gasps> yeah. and starts filming. And it's 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 amazing. And it changes to the Rock's perspective. 
from the camera that he's holding, and it's so cool. Yeah. It's it's really probably one of the coolest spots they've ever done. Very creative, very cool. Um I don't. I. I really. I want to know who came up with that idea and just give him a hug because that was really cool. <laughs> Rock starts filming the crowd, and that's when Stone Cold hits a stunner on him while he's holding the camera. Yeah. Onto the announce table, um, and then they show a replay from the Rock's camera of him getting a stunner, like in his point of view, which was just. I don't know. It was just so so cool. Yeah. Uh, but we're not done yet. We go back into the ring, and then Austin tries another Stone Cold Stunner, but he gets but he gets pushed off and like collides with Shane. Uh, and Austin turns around right into a rock bottom. They're both exhausted, so Shane puts Rock's arm on top of Stone Cold, but only gets a two count. Shane can't believe it, so Shane goes outside, grabs the belt, tries to hit Austin. But Austin ducks, and Shane hits the rock. Yes. Um, and then this is where Shane uh, disrespects his grandfather, because <laughs> Austin covers, and Shane counts one, two, and but doesn't doesn't count three. He doesn't count three. He flips him off with both hands. No, oh, yeah, no, that was that was that was pretty cool. We get lots of middle fingers in this match. Yes. Uh, so Shane runs. And Austin chases him out of the ring, and that's when Vince shows up and hits Shane in the face with the smoking skull belt. So we got we got our two our dueling belts. So believe it or not, Vince is actually helping Austin here, but really he's just beating up his own son. We get a new ref comes in, um, when uh, and then Austin hits Rock with the belt. A new ref comes in, counts one two. Rock kicks out. Uh, and then Rock grabs the title, but gets hit with a stunner. And interestingly, the Rock does not go down from the stunner. He's like doing this like weird thing only the Rock can pull off, where he's doing this like goofy stumble around. Yes, the, ring. the goofy then, like stunned looking stumble is so good because like, and you're right, only the Rock can pull that off. Well, and the Rock is known for like selling the stunner very weird, like. Like, when he actually does go down, he usually does, like, two backflips, and <laughs> people love it. Like, it's a, it's an oversell, but it's it's fun. But anyway, he's, like, out on his feet, and then Austin falls up, hitting him with the title. These guys have been hit with the belt so many times, uh, and eventually he, he pins him. Uh, Vince, like, begrudgingly gives him the smoking skull belt back, uh, and Austin celebrates with both titles. I give this one, like, a... A four point two five out of five stars, only because I kn- I know these two have had even better matches, uh, and to me, like a five star rating should be like, damn, the match has to be perfect. Yeah, but it's it's a good match, easily the best of the night, which is really where where the last match of a show should fall, I I think. And it was like only this match, only with these two guys, and only in this time. Does this thing work? Um, Absolutely. And, you know, I think it was really good. Although, we are not quite yet done with the show. Yes, um, there's still one one twist to be twisted. So we go back to the limo, which takes off without Vince, and, and Stephanie's like, 
wait, wait, my dad. And she's like, driver, driver, stop. And the partition comes down. Undertaker turns around and goes, where to, Stephanie? <laughs> and, and that's how the show ends, and it's it's great. Yeah, yeah, no. Um... <laughs> what a what a wild ending. I I I really did enjoy the show overall. Yeah. Um I I you know I'd say it was slightly above average show. Um but again most of the matches even the better ones had dumb endings. Um pretty much everything other than the Gold Dust and Godfather match had something redeemable about it. Yeah. Uh, that one was just pure garbage. Yeah. But, and no, every, every match had something redeemable about it, but most had a bad ending. I agree. Uh, all, all in all, this show probably is weighted, I would say, kind of poorly. Um, but there, there are some moments in it. Like I said, there's some gems. Yeah. Uh, I, the main event is really awesome. Uh, and the Triple H and X-Pac match was was also pretty good. The Boiler Room Brawl was entertaining. And honestly, the Boiler Room Brawl and the uh, the main event are really the only ones that don't have a shitty ending. Yeah, and I think that this, that what I do like about this show as just a microcosm is it shows, like, the good and the bad uh, pretty well. You know, yeah. it shows the, the what, what makes a weak match versus what makes a strong match. Oh, for sure. So uh, yeah, no, it's 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 a good match to jump into, or a good uh, pay per view to jump into, whether or not you are a uh, you are a fan of wrestling. Thanks for listening. All right, once again, hope you guys really enjoyed that one. Uh, me and Zach just starting to get into the groove of things with uh, this show. Uh, I want to make a quick correction uh, to our last episode. We talked about what show we were going to be watching for. Um, Next, for our next episode, uh, not this Thursday, but the following Thursday, we're going to be talking about, uh, now we're going to be talking about Ring of Honor G1 Supercard. A uh, really great show from what I heard. I haven't seen it yet. Um, we're going to be talking about that. It just happened a few weeks ago. That's going to be in two Thursdays right here on Turnbuckle Training. Uh, you can get that by watching, you can watch that by getting the uh, Honor Club subscription uh, with ringofhonor.com, or you can, you know, find it however you see fit. Once again, as we always say, we won't snitch. Uh, so, once again, thanks for listening, and be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Turnbuckle Train. Let us know what you want to hear from us, and uh, be sure to go leave us, a, leave us a like and a review on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. It's me, Austin! And they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Oh, son of a bitch. I did it for the rock. Get ready for the bonkerest event of the summer. 
a Three Big Dudes production. Starring me, professional toe sucker. No, we won't talk about that, but we will talk about Waluigi, Dog with a Blog, the similarities between Alf and Cousin Skeeter, and of course, the Slithler. It's Feud Fight, where we take the wild questions most people won't touch and give our scalding hot takes. And I also say terrible things that could loosely be considered word crimes, just to keep things a little spicy. Every Monday, wherever you find your podcasts.